this is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, I'm Hub, and I hope you're enjoying this fine whenever the heck it is you're listening to this. I've had a heck of a week, been pretty busy. If you haven't got a chance to listen to it yet, I just put up the recording of the panel that Corey and I were on with Jay and Miles of Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men at uh, Rose City Comic Con. So you could give that a listen. It was a lot of fun, and those guys are freaking geniuses, and it was a pleasure and honor to be on a panel with them. So you should listen to that. Other than that, let's see. I went to the Enchanted Forest the other day. For those of you who don't live in Oregon, the Enchanted Forest is is a theme park of sorts. It was built in the early 70s by a guy who seemingly just looked at Disneyland and said, Disneyland? Huh. Yeah. Yeah, I could probably do that. And did his best. And the amazing part is that it kind of works. It's built out of plaster, chutzpah, and public domain characters. And it's impressive the ways that it pretty much works. But to me, it's amazing for the things that don't quite work. Like I said, it's public domain characters, so it's mostly fairy tales, with the exception of a Wild West portion. And unlike Disneyland, they don't have characters walking around and greeting people, except for the Wild West has a guy dressed as Abraham Lincoln who goes around and talks to people. Like I said, it's kind of amazing. But the public domain fairy tales are very much the Disney version of those public domain fairy tales, but it's not Disney. So it's all the ones that are from Disney, and it's mostly like the Disney version. Like in Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, they don't have the witch having iron shoes filled with hot coals strapped to her feet, and she dances herself to death. But they also don't have the rights to the names that were created for the Disney version. So one of my favorite things is the Seven Dwarfs, There's a little adventure, you see where they do their gem mining and shit. But then there's the list of the names of the seven dwarves. And it had never occurred to me that, of course, the ones that are used in the Disney movie were created by Disney and are licensed by them. So the list of names that they have of the dwarves at the Enchanted Forest, I wish I could remember them all. But the ones that really stuck out to me were Snoozy, Wheezy, and Lumpy. I love that one of the seven dwarves is named Lumpy. And I just love trying to extrapolate what his character was based on that name. Anyway, I also read a comic book this week, so let's talk about that, shall we? Without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Brad Reed, and it has a timely message for us. The Robot Rebellion is coming to get us, with lasers and ray guns and hollow voice threats. Plus, you know they'll enjoy their revenge and say, mop this, resist the steel fiends, and enjoy a synopsis. Thanks, Brad. Although I don't know that I'm going to take your advice. I think a robot tells me to mop. I'm going to mop. Robot tells me to jump. I don't even say how high. I say, can I come down now, please, Mr. Robot, sir? You know, not necessarily out of fear, but... If a robot's telling me to do something, he's probably got a pretty good reason. He's got those logic circuits and shit. You know? Yeah, I'm okay with the robot rebellion. Defenders, number 18. December, 1974. Rampage! Written by Len Wein. Drotted by Sal Buscema. With inks by Dan Green. Defensive lineup. Doctor Strange. Power Man. Nighthawk. The Incredible Hulk. And Valkyrie. 
sort of. Previously in The Defenders. After announcing several issues ago her plan to quit the team and go on a sojourn of self-discovery, Valkyrie finally makes good on her threat and vamoosed off to Vermont. Bye, Valkyrie! The Hulk was upset by the loss of his beloved teammate and, not unreasonably, assumed that Doctor Strange was responsible for the Scandinavian Swordslinger's departure from the Defenders. For roughly the twelfth time in seventeen issues, the Hulk once again quit the Defenders. Nighthawk was bummed out, both because the entire Defenders roster now consisted of two privileged white dudes, and perhaps more importantly, he had recently purchased the Hulk a prohibitively expensive chair. Poor fellow. But the billionaire bird enthusiast had more to bemoan than his fiscally foolish furniture decisions, because Nighthawk's alter ego with billionaire ne'er-do-well Kyle Richmond received a call from his long-suffering financial manager Pennysworth. The appropriately named accounts manager informed his employer that one of the buildings owned by Richmond Enterprises had recently been demolished by a group of construction worker-themed supervillains called The Wrecking Crew. The affluent avian aficionado turned on the news just in time to witness a second of his buildings being blown up. Bummer. Pennysworth told his secretly superheroic CEO that the Wrecking Crew likely had destructive designs on the sole remaining building owned by Richmond Enterprises, which was still under construction. Pennysworth had hired some extra security to help protect the imperiled property, but felt he should keep his absentee employer informed nonetheless. The duo of remaining defenders headed out to the construction site to preserve the remains of Kyle's real estate empire. Upon arriving, they soon encountered the extra security Pennysworth had hired, namely one Luke Cage Power Man! Hooray! The mandatory misunderstanding-inspired melee ensued, and Luke Cage beat the crap out of Kyle and Steve. Hooray! Eventually, Steve managed to jam Luke into one of those mystical bubbles that are all the rage, and explained that the streetwise superhero and the pair of performatively attired plutocrats were there to help safeguard the same structure. Glad that got cleared up. Only, bad job, everybody! Because no sooner did the enigmatic enchanter finish his exposition than the object of their purported protection was destroyed from beneath them in a fiery explosion, and a trio of incompetent super-security guards found themselves face-to-face -face with... The Wrecking Crew. Gadzooks! Will our depleted roster of defenders find a way to triumph over their belligerent blue-collar foes? How long will the Hulk's self-imposed exile from our titular non-team last this time? And can I start portmanteauing the phrase billionaire ne'er-do-well into billionaire-do-well? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so, well, the building they were trying to protect just blew up, so there's really only so triumphant they can realistically hope for at this point. I think just a few hours this time. And autocorrect and I seem to have a different opinion on the matter, but I'm sure as shit gonna try. So, the defenders fight the wrecking crew, for, like, the whole issue. The end. Okay, I'll go into a little more detail, but for real, that's pretty much the synopsis. Let's start off with a few notes about the Wrecking Crew. The team's leader is the Wrecker. You can tell he's a bad guy, because he's dressed in purple and green, and isn't the Hulk. He has a magic crowbar, he's super strong, and he talks with a Doiby Dickles-esque Brooklyn accent. Thunderball has a pretty dope green and yellow outfit. He has a magic ball and chain, and you can tell he's a scientist or something because he uses big words and doesn't use contractions. It's also probably worth mentioning that he's the only black member of the Wrecking Crew. Bulldozer looks like Ram Man from Masters of the Universe. He runs into stuff or something. He talks like the Wrecker. Piledriver has a pretty generic red and white costume. I guess he's strong or something too, and good at punches. You know, like a piledriver is good at punches. He also talks like the Wrecker, but apparently with more saliva, 
because he always seems to have those stalactites of spittle that Salbusema likes to draw. Hey, do you guys remember the video for the song Pile Driver that the WWF made in the 80s? It's amazing. You should check it out. Coco Beware sang and all the popular mid-80s wrestlers were in it pretending to be construction workers. The song was about how I guess they were bad at love, but the video was also about how they were pretty bad at construction work, too. Sorry. Anyway, the Wrecking Crew is having a menacing pose-off against Power Man, Nighthawk, and Doctor Strange when suddenly the assembled super beings hear the sirens from approaching cop cars. Apparently, the unauthorized blowing up of buildings is the sort of thing that the police frown upon. Good to know. Thunderball destroys a couple of squad cars with his wrecking ball, which is definitely the sort of thing that defenders frown upon, so everybody fights everybody. The bad guys decide to leave, indicating that they intend to return later to search for some kind of a special device they think is somewhere in the rubble of the destroyed building. But Steve is like, Nuh-uh, guys. I put a big old magic bubble around all of us so that we have to keep fighting. Huh. Steve, it seems like you could have just put a smaller magic bubble around just the bad guys. Then you wouldn't have to keep fighting. Meanwhile, in Vermont, Val is wandering around the town of Cobbler's Roost, aimlessly looking for clues about who Barbara Norris used to be before she was sort of kind of Valkyrie. She is spotted by some kind of gangster guy who recognizes her and intends to report her presence to the boss. Vermont gangsters. Fun. I hope they're half as adorable as punk rockers with thick main accents are. We'll see. Back at the construction site, everyone is still fighting everyone. Highlights include Luke Cage batting away Thunderball's wrecking ball with a steel girder, Billionaire do well, I like that, Nighthawk jumping inside a crane and using it to whack Pile Driver, Ram Man, or Bulldozer, destroying Nighthawk's crane, and the Wrecker wanging Steve in the back with his magic crowbar. Then the Wrecker apparently decides that since pure brawn doesn't seem to be enough to defeat the defenders, maybe he can bury them under a pile of gratuitous exposition. He decides to say the Wrecking Crew's origin at his enemies. That'll show him. A long time ago, the Wrecker got the power of a Norse god when his crowbar got zapped by some magic Asgardian lightning. So he went around breaking stuff and robbing people until Thor told him to knock it off and re-electrified his crowbar, which I guess turned him back into a regular guy. Then he went to prison for a while, which is where he met the rest of the Wrecking Crew. He convinced the other guys to help him bust out of prison. He figured that if they found his old magic crowbar and got it re-re-electrified, then it would give him his powers back. And probably, if they were all holding the crowbar with him, then they would all get magic god powers too. So, they found the magic crowbar, held it over their heads in a thunderstorm, got hit by lightning, and were all burned to a crisp, dying immediately. Just kidding. Everything worked great, and now they all have the power of Norse gods. Hooray! Oh, wait, they're the bad guys. I mean... Boo! Anyway, despite being a tried-and-true supervillain go-to move, stopping in the middle of battle and explaining their powers may have been a tactical error on the Wrecker's part. Once Steve learns that his adversary's powers are magical in nature, he's all like, Oh, magic? I love magic and can just slurp it all up whenever it's around. Om nom 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 nom. The mystical muncher of magic casts a spell that starts siphoning off the Wrecking Crew's powers. The construction worker cosplaying criminals start convulsing as their supernatural strength is sucked out of them. Things look pretty bad for the bad guys. But remember that magic bubble that Steve sealed the combatants inside of earlier? And remember how I said Hulk's self-imposed exile didn't last too long? 
Well, it turns out that both of those things are totally things and are not totally unrelated. The Jade Giant returns, eager to assist his erstwhile teammates. Hulk has been off in Marvel Team-Up number 27 for a few hours, learning a valuable lesson about friendship. Hooray! Only it's too bad he wasn't also learning a valuable lesson about the nature of magical barriers. Because when the Green Goliath, intent on helping his buddies, smashes through Doctor Strange's magic bubble, it creates a mystical shockwave that KOs the Sorcerer Supreme and restores the Wrecking Crew's powers to them. Whoops. Once again, everybody fights everybody. With the Hulk's help, the Defenders appear to have a slight upper hand, and the building-blowing-up baddies are about to revert to their initial plan of running away with the intention of returning later to search for whatever device it was they were looking for. The quartet of costumed criminals is about to commence skedaddling when Thunderball announces that he has found the missing MacGuffin. He cracks open the metal container he has unearthed, revealing that it contains... Wait for it... Nothing! An expression of sheer terror overtakes the contractionless criminal's villainous visage as he realizes that his trophy is nothing but an empty vessel. To be continued. Wait, so the missing thing that the bad guys were looking for is... missing? Wow, that certainly raised the stakes. And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Cory. Cory, how's it going? Going pretty good, how are you? I am going well. So, what'd you think? This was a refreshing change from the last comic we discussed. It really was. Normally, I would maybe be less enthusiastic about a, like, 30-page comic that's essentially one fight scene. Mm -hmm. But after the issue we covered last week, this felt wonderful. And it was really fun and just light and breezy. I'm a little bit worried we'll have success making a meal out of this morsel, but Mm. let's give it our best shot. Let's. Okay. So this comic book is either a return to or a launching off point of a couple of spinoff issues that other characters were in. It makes a very brief mention of Marvel team-up number 27 that the Hulk, I guess, had been off having an adventure in, where I guess he learned an important lesson about the importance of friendship. Yeah. And not being betrayed because... Because your friends didn't scare off girl who kissed Hulk? Oh, okay. Yeah, that would be Valkyrie. Yeah, I've just, you know, yeah, from no, his just in general. Sure. But, man, I am on board for that 100%. I really need to find that issue. I don't know if it should be like a regular episode of this or if we should do it as like a bonus, but I really want to see the Hulk learn a valuable lesson about friendship. Yeah, I don't know if we're going to be able to pull that off because the editorial note says that we can only get that issue if we've been good. Oh, shit. Well,. Sorry, listeners. (laughs) It may still be on sale if you've been good something. Greenskin learned the value of friendship in Marvel Team-Up number 27, which may still be on sale if you've been good. Well, shit. We've been okay, I guess. Maybe one of you listeners can tell us what happened in that issue. But we also see that Val is about to have her spinoff issue, which will be in Marvel 2-in-1 number 7. But right now she's just off in Vermont having a time having an adventure, meeting a shady character. Also, I don't understand the name of the town that she's visiting. Maybe in old-timey, by which I mean mid-70s parlance, (laughs) it was common to refer to a place where a certain professional group hung out as a roost. Well, it's the name of a town, so I don't think the town was probably incorporated in the mid-70s just because it existed then. Oh, good point. So, probably really old-timey. 
Yeah, if it's it's cobbler's roost. Yes, cobbler's roost. Yeah, I don't know why a cobbler would have a roost. And everybody in that town had nice shoes. Yeah, probably. Maybe except for the cobbler's children. Uh, uh, this is the painting? No, no, that's just an old expression. The cobbler's children have no shoes. What is it? Is that also the title of the painting? No, the painting that Corey is referring to is one of my favorite paintings <laughs> ever, which is called... that's what you were referring to. No, no, I was referring to that very common expression that everyone knows, that cobbler's children have no shoes. Oh, that old chestnut. Yeah. Oh, okay. No, what Corey is referring to is my favorite painting, which is in the Portland Art Museum. It is a Americana period painting. It looks like it takes place like in late 1700s, I would guess, but it's called The Drunken Cobbler, ah. and it's fucking amazing. I would be surprised if we haven't talked about it on the podcast it's before. It's bound to have come up. Yeah, but it's just a cobbler is coming home, and he looks crazy fucking drunk, and his whole family is gathered in front of him and being like, what? Why? Why are you so drunk? Even the dog, Yeah, the dog is in there just (laughs) looking at him like, oh, you. And he has an expression (laughs) of drunken bliss on his face and is gesturing broadly as if to say, I made a fucking shoe. (laughs) Yeah. So it's possible that that's the town that he lives in. Wait. I can see him building himself a roost. Hold on a minute. Why do the cobbler's children not have shoes? It would seem like that would be the resource easiest for the cobbler to provide his children. Yeah, that's that's the irony of it. Well, I understand the irony, but like what is the It's root just cuz it? he's that poor. It's saying that the poor poor people often provide services for others that they can't afford to provide for themselves. He spends all of his time mm. and effort and money making shoes. He cannot afford to give the shoes to his children and to to spend even the resource of time and the raw materials on them because he has to provide for others to make a living to feed his family. I see. Therein lies the rub. Hmm. Yep. That's the rub, all right. Yeah, Cobbler's Roost, Vermont. Maybe an actual place. I haven't actually looked that up. But Ah. it does seem like a weird name for a town. But we see that Val is up there looking for clues as to her past. And one of the things that I really liked in this, Len Wein, who really unfortunately passed last week. I I talked about it in the intro last week a little bit, but... It's a bummer. He has been doing a great job on these Defenders issues we've been covering. Mm. And I'm looking forward to more. And he will be missed. So, cheers. Cheers. To Len Wein. To Len. But when I'm writing the synopses, when they involve Val's origin, I often have a tough time getting the salient details across. But Len does a really great job here Mm. in just a few panels talking about valkyrie's origin and it wasn't something that he had written it's from the old Engelhart issues mm-hmm. and he does a great job summing it up and actually yeah it starts in the roy thomas issues and then goes on through steve Engelhart. so he's summing up two other writers work but does it in a very succinct way she's gone off on a journey to find herself if only she knew where to start all she has been told is that she was once a girl named barbara an acolyte of a cult that sacrificed the hulk's alter ego bruce banner to the god thing called the Nameless One, that she'd been trapped in the Nameless One's savage dimension, and there had eventually mated with the demon and gone mad. The Enchantress had, quote, cured, unquote, her, madness, by transforming the girl into the Valkyrie, but the being that was Barbara had somehow been lost in the process. That's it. That really gets it all across, and there are illustrations which help clarify certain points of that, but it really nicely done. 
I agree. Although it also leaves out Doctor Strange being like, clearly you need to be rescued from this dimension <laughs> where you're perfectly happy being a crazy person. That's true. It does gloss over some of the finer details. But to get it done in three panels is pretty impressive. It is. And I had forgotten about the mating with the nameless one thing. I don't know if she's able to somehow backtrack enough to get all the details on that. Like, I understand wanting to do self-discovery and everything, but you've got to think at some point she's going to be like, damn, this is maybe not what I wanted to know. Yeah, maybe we could just put that uh, journey of self-discovery genie back in the bottle for a second. Right, and yeah. uh, maybe I could just be a cool badass lady with a sword and hit some dudes. Go back to cutting steamrollers in half. And yeah, start. the way she really ought to. Mm-hmm. But it does set up she's about to have a spinoff into Marvel 2-in-1 number 7, where we will join her as she learns more about Barbara. So mm. that should be cool, too. Indeed. Yeah, I'm curious to know who the suit hat... Suit hat? Yeah, the, the suit hat. The, the suit hat man. That's the, the shady character. To me, he comes across as very low-rent mobster. Kind of like Runyon-esque type character. As Vermont is known for. Oh, yeah. Hotbed of... Low-rent mobsterism, <laughs> that old cobbler's roost is. Yeah, it's it's not the New England state that I would associate most with that. That would be Rhode Island, actually. Right. Uh, really a notorious hotbed for yep. mafia activity. But apparently Vermont's got their share, too. Mm. Like, just, like, really crunchy, like, hippie mobsters <laughs> looking to get off the grid, but still be a shame if something happened to this area that's off the grid. Uh, be a terrible thing if you're... Cheese factory caught on fire. That's some nice hemp jewelry you got going on there. Would be a shame if some uh, non-organic strands made its way in there. Oh, (laughs) jeez. Yikes. Etc. Other things Vermont gangsters might (laughs) say. (laughs) So, what did you think of the Wrecking Crew? I like the Wrecking Crew. I liked them too. It's interesting. We talked about the introduction of the Omega Men in the last issue and how you kind of jump in not knowing a ton about them and assumed that they had maybe more of a rich backstory than they did. I had not realized that the last issue, Defenders number 17, was the first appearance of the Wrecking Crew, where they just show up at the end. Hmm. I had more background knowledge of the Wrecking Crew a little bit, and the Wrecker had certainly been around a while more, but the rest of his crew... This is the first time we really meet them and get to know them, which Mm is kind of cool. Most of them don't get a ton of development. They all pretty much seem exactly like the Wrecker, except for Thunderball, Mm -hmm. who is apparently very smart. Yeah, he's he's certainly the most well-spoken of the bunch. Which is really nice and kind of a fun way that they are playing with stereotypes here, because he is the one black member of Mm -hmm. the gang, and he is clearly the most educated and uriadite of these super criminals. But other than him, they all sound exactly the same. Like? They all sound like bad guys from a 1940s radio play. Mm -hmm. I think I've talked about it before, that in the shadow it would be like, oh, this saboteur who's working down at the construction site, and he'd be like, Oh, yeah, that's some bad stuff you guys are into. It's like, yes, and he's been collaborating with the corrupt district attorney. Oh, yeah, I'm the district attorney in this town. Mm. Nobody tells me what to do. They've all been doibified. They have all been doibified. <laughs> yeah, they've all got doiby dickles accents, which is the generic accent that anyone who is supposed to be tough 
gets, which is pretty similar to the way that they write Luke Cage, too. Mm. So that's kind of fun, but I completely lose track in this issue of which is pile driver and which is bulldozer. I think Bulldozer is the one who looks like Ram Man, and Pile Driver is the one in the red and white Correct. stripe yep. thing. Pile Driver is the most. Sal Buscema gives him the most spittle. Yes. Yeah, he really does. He gets the most Sal Buscema-y face. There's a couple of shots of the Wrecker where he's got that going on, mm. but yeah, Pile Driver definitely has the like spittle stalactites and stalagmites coming from both sides of his mouth pretty gross it's super gross so the wrecker is clearly the leader of the wrecking crew Mm -hmm. and he's been around forever he's an old thor villain who i think it was loki like magicked up his crowbar and then got it struck by lightning and then he got his powers i was really missing that whole piece of the puzzle they just sort of threw that tidbit in there and i was like wait wait a minute wait there's an ancient norse magic crowbar yeah pretty much it's a regular crowbar, I think, that then Loki used uh, Norn stones on to imbue with the powers of the ancient Norse Norn queen. Yep, and then... And then they all grab it together and assume, figure it can get struck by lightning again, and then it'll give them all their powers. But they needed to do that because Thor had stuck him on the third rail of the subway, which is what made him regular powered? Yeah, so, okay. So he's got the magic crowbar that he's holding. Mm-hmm. It gets struck by lightning. Yep. Boom, he has Norse god powers. But then Thor figures, if getting that thing struck by lightning gave him those powers, maybe if I simulate getting struck by lightning again by electrifying the crowbar with the third rail of the subway car, Mm. then it'll take away his powers. And then he figured, yeah, but maybe if I get struck by lightning again, it'll give me those powers back. It's just going to be a vicious cycle of... And all of his old jail buddies are totally cool with that. And they're like, yeah, I figure if we hold on to you two, we'll all get the powers. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of leaps that are being taken there. That's one of the goofiest panels in the comic, too, is after just it just randomly like does strike the thing by lightning when they're all hanging on to it. Right. And well, they all... there's a storm going on. They're holding a metal thing over their head. Yeah, okay. But then they all hulk out at the same exact time and like yeah. start, like, I have to rip my shirt off. I'm <laughs> and so just stand here and flex for a minute because yeah. I'm so strong. Like checking themselves out. Yeah, just looking at their muscles. Probably at least one of them's doing the thing where he waves his arm around in a circle and then holds his hand up to his ear like Hulk Hogan. Mm, yep. Yeah, it is a pretty goofy panel. It's also kind of weird to me that like, I guess they decided to be construction themed bad guys. Like, the wrecker, it makes sense. He's got a magic crowbar. And so he's like, yeah, I use this to wreck things. I think his history had been he had been like a demolitions guy. Mm. And he did use a crowbar to tear things apart. And then he gets the magic crowbar, which gives him superpowers and is super good at wrecking stuff. So he's the wrecker. They're his crew, so they're the wrecking crew. I don't know why Pile Driver doesn't have a magical Pile Driver that he's carrying around. Like, I don't understand why he is sticking with the construction theme just because they're the backup dancers for the wrecker. But even if they are... Bulldozer, okay, he's kind of like a bulldozer. He can wreck things. Pile driver doesn't seem like he digs a lot of holes. Pounds people into the ground like he tells uh, Power Man. Oh, he does? Yeah, he's like, and this is an annoyance I had with him as well, where I think on more than one occasion, he requests the person he's fighting with, now you just stay there. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to hit you. I think that's supposed to be talking about how dumb he is. Because, yeah, but he bulldozer does that, too. Mm-hmm. Okay, where where so. he tells Nighthawk to, like, just stay sitting in that crane, and I'm going to come and beat you up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Pile Driver says the same. But Thunderball, 
A thunderball is not a demolition tool, like a wrecking ball is. But I guess maybe they figured they already had a wrecker in the crew. It's like a wrecking ball, and they didn't want to... Yeah, they didn't want to have, like, do. the wrecker thing. Do you think he was just, like, a big fan of the one James Bond movie? And he's like, okay, I'll be Thunderball. <laughs> Could be. I forgot about that, James Bond. Yeah, a lot of people do. Yeah. What is up with Thunderball? Is it magical? How does it know to fly around Dr. Strange's That's the thing. Barrier? It wasn't like he was holding a wrecking ball when he got struck by lightning. There, and there's already another Marvel villain who has a wrecking ball that he carries around. That's uh, Crusher Creel, the Absorbing Man, who's another Thor villain. Mm-hmm. So it does seem weird that he's got that. I think they just wanted him to stand out from the others, which he already does, mm-hmm. because he's the only one who talks like big words from the Newsboy Legion. Like, there's a cup. You, you can tell he's like a smart guy mm-hmm. because he talks like a very stereotypical comic book smart guy. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of ways that geniuses will talk in comic books. Either they'll talk like normal people, like your Tony Stark, who is a super science genius, or Spider Man, who's a pretty super smart genius guy. Mm-hmm. Or they'll talk like Reed Richards or Big Words from the Newsboy Legion. Mm-hmm. And Thunderball definitely falls in the latter category. It's kind of weird to me that he was in tight with the rest of the Wrecking Crew when they were in prison to begin with. Mm. But one thing I do like about the Wrecking Crew is they seem to genuinely like each other. There's not that backstabbing, like, I gotta stick together with you guys because it's the only way to get what we want. They're constantly calling each other chum, Mm -hmm. which is really kind of sweet. Yeah, and the underlings are like, hey boss, we gotta get out of here. And he's like, "Mm, fine, I guess you're right. Like, yeah, it would be smart. I don't want to, but... Yeah. They're, they're looking out for one yeah. another. Yeah, and there's another thing where he tells them to, like, go fight that guy, and they hesitate for a minute, and he's like, I thought I told you to fight that guy. And he's like, yeah, we just wanted to make sure you were okay fighting that one guy first. Mm-hmm. But it looks like you're doing fine, so okay, we'll go do what you told us to. Yeah. It's nice to see that kind of camaraderie among villains. It kind of makes me like them. I would go so far as to say, if I had to be on a team of bad guys, like... Wrecking Crew? Yeah, they don't want to hurt anybody. They actually just want to destroy buildings. Yeah, it seems fun. It could be a good time. <laughs> they're they're owned by a giant corporation that's run by kind of a dick. Yeah. Uh, now all the buildings are owned by Richmond Enterprises. So, yeah, the, the Wrecking Crew doesn't seem so bad. Probably. We don't know what that thing is that they were looking for. I like the idea that they were maybe just geocaching or were like on some kind of a scavenger hunt. Mm. And I had to destroy this building to find this thing. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, they are super villains. I do like when too, he opens it up and it's empty. I think the first thing he says is, oh, good lord, what a wholesome villain. Yeah, I'm a fan of the Wrecking Crew. All right. Yeah, not bad. So there's a couple of phrases that come up that I think we, we kind of broke them up who was going to look up what. One of them is the Wrecker, in addition to calling all of the people he likes chum, mm-hmm. calls all of the people he doesn't like tin horn. Yeah. And I really liked that. It seemed kind of cowboy-y to me. Like, that seems like a cowboy-type expression. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the comic book opened with analogies to Roy Rogers, Hopalong Cassidy, and the Marvel Comics character, the Rawhide Kid, mm-hmm. just kind of put me in that, like, 50s cowboy revival type mode. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what it, what does tin horn mean? You looked that up, right? I did look it up, and it's a expression to mean somebody that basically makes a bigger deal of themselves than they are but like all flash no substance all flash no substance yep that's a perfect way to put it and it comes from uh back in the day like kind of a low rent gambler would use an old tin tin can like a soup can to uh throw the dice 
Oh, like would you pretend that it was silver, but really it was just tin? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I guess they would, right? Because they're yeah, trying to show off and yeah. be flashy. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah, just uh, somebody who makes a bigger deal about themselves. That's the etymology of it. I guess I would be a no-horn guy, because I always just roll the dice with my hand. Oh. Do you use, like, a dice-rolling cup? Only in uh, Yahtzee. Oh, well, in Yahtzee you got to. You're rolling, like, six dice. Well. Dude, I don't think they were playing Yahtzee back then. No, like, uh, craps. Yeah, but you don't use, like, six dice in craps. You just use, like, two, right? Well, I don't know. Maybe they use a can. Okay. I don't. I'm just saying. not my area of expertise. I'm just saying. It seems like they could just use their hands. Well, I guess so. I mean, unless you're trying to be flashy. Mm. The only time I've seen those, like, dice rolling cups is, like, uh, backgammon boards always come with them. But I never use them. I feel like it's something that I've only gambled in Las Vegas once, and I didn't do any of the gambling where there's an, another person that you're gambling with. Like oh, a, right. a croupier or, sure. or whatever. But I feel like those guys probably have a fancy cup if there's oh, dice involved. That makes sense. Probably they don't want to touch stuff either, because filthy gamblers are going to get their germs all over them. Oh. I don't like gambling. Yeah, I'm I, so bad at it. I do. I'm also very bad at it. I, I think we may have talked about before on the podcast when I was a kid, my dad used to gamble with me for my allowance every week. Have we, I mentioned that? I, I think I know the story, but I don't know if everybody knows the story. Well, apologies if I'm being redundant here, but when I was a kid, I was supposed to get 50 cents a week in allowance because apparently I grew up in a wormhole that <laughs> existed in like the 1940s. Uh, but I was supposed to get 50 cents a week in allowance and I did a ton of chores to get that. I mowed the lawn with a hand mower, like no motor kind, and I chopped wood and shit. And then pretty much every week my dad would be like, all right, well, do you want to play poker for your allowance? <laughs> And I would always be like, yeah, I can make a lot more money if I do that. Mm. And I would lose every time. And I would never get any allowance because it turns out that 35-year-olds are better at poker than 7-year-olds. Generally speaking, true. And if I'm being generous, then maybe dad was trying to teach me a lesson about gambling. Like that it's not good to gamble. But I think probably more likely he just didn't want to give me my allowance. And regardless, the lesson that I took away from it ended up being, all right, I'm on a huge losing streak, so I'm due a big win any day now. Still waiting for that big win. Gosh, I feel like maybe we did discuss this before because it reminds me of the lesson I got from my old man about double or nothing. What was that? So we used to play this game where you have a quarter uh-huh. and you flick it kind of along the countertop and whoever gets closest to the edge wins. Oh, like shuffleboard. Right, yeah, with quarters. Yeah. I was doing really good, and I had him up to like eight bucks or something because we're we're betting wow. like a, a quarter for each each time. I was like on this crazy roll, and he got this kind of sly look, and he said double or nothing. And I was like, "What's that mean?" He's like, "Well, if you you win, like, you get sixteen bucks. If you lose, you get nothing." And I was like, sixteen bucks! Holy shit!" And I flung the quarter right off the countertop, and he laughed. <laughs> I didn't get diddly. Man, dads are the worst. <laughs> Taught me a valuable lesson. Oh, man, I didn't get valuable lessons. I just got no allowance. Yeah. Mm. So, the other phrase that came up, Luke Cage grabs a steel girder and Thunderball <laughs> throws his Thunderball at him. Mm-hmm. And Luke Cage uses the steel girder as a bat and hits the wrecking ball out of the park and says, you probably didn't know this, but I used to be a three-sewer stickball champ. Yep. And when I think we both had kind of an idea of what stickball was. Sure. It's like baseball, but you use like a broom handle instead. Mm-hmm. And it's what they play in inner cities in old timey times. Mm-hmm. But neither one of us knew what three sewer meant. Did like, you look it up? 
I did. And at first, I think we both thought that maybe it meant he was bad at it. Like he stinks worse than three sewers. <laughs> and he really stinks. Yeah. What three sewers refers to is a guy who hit a lot of home runs. And the reason that that is three sewers is traditionally when you were playing stickball, home base would be a manhole cover oh. and they're 90 feet apart, the manhole covers. So home, home plate would be one. Mm. Second base would be another one. And then the third manhole cover would be where it would be designated that would be out of bounds. So that would be out of the, the end of the outfield. So that mm. would be a home run. So if you hit a lot of those, then you were called a three sewer champ. Oh, shit. Yeah. What do you know? Isn't that kind of cool? That's that's way better than what I initially thought. Yeah, I know. He doesn't stink at all. He's pretty good. You had a question. When the Hulk shows back up after learning his valuable lesson about friendship, which I really want to know what that was, mm-hmm. do you think he had to spend a night in a haunted house? Oh, geez, I hope not. Oh, man, I hope not for the ghost's sake. Or for the house's sake. Oh, that's a good point, too. <laughs> but when he shows back up, he starts banging away on this barrier that Doc Strange had set up. Yeah. And that knocks Doctor Strange out. Because Doctor Strange had been doing this thing where he just, he's like, oh, you guys are magic. I love magic. And, uh. <laughs> I drink it all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and does the, like, let's say you've got some magic. And I've got a straw. I drink your magic. I drink it up. You guys Yum. cannot see him doing his Daniel Day-Lewis face to the best of his ability. It's creepy as shit. It is spot on. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. You'd think that I took three years off and became a cobbler in Italy. Not something that Daniel Day-Lewis did. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I bet his children had no shoes either. I was just going to say, this is another cobbler metaphor that I know. Yeah, there, there's an unfortunate amount of cobbler digressions in this episode. <laughs> Let's get back to the primary digression, which is Doctor Strange. What? I said bubble. Oh, I thought you said butthole. It's <laughs> <laughs> very earnestly and matter-of-factly. What were we talking about? Butthole. I, I don't think we... Were we? No. Okay, good. That wasn't what I meant when I said manhole. Sorry, we're going a bit more blue than we normally uh, do in this that's, that's uh, episode. Talking. Yeah, Doctor Strange had been like, oh, you guys are doing magic. I didn't realize you guys were magic. I'm going to drink all your magic up. Yum, yum, yum. Yep. And it seems to be working pretty good. But then Hulk shows up and starts wanging away. <laughs> and and then Doctor Strange is like, ow, my brain. Right. You had a question about that. Yeah, I couldn't recall if Doctor Strange had erected... A barrier of some sort? He did. In the previous issue? In this issue, actually. Really? Yeah. So. That's what he used to drink the magic milkshake? No. Different thing. Different barrier. It was, it, it is weird because he had just two spells going at the same time. And he, once he had started drinking the magic milkshake, he kind of didn't need to have the other barrier around because it was the barrier that was keeping the wrecking crew from leaving when the cops showed up. Oh. Because the cops showed up and they were all like, right. let's get out of here. And then he mm. put up the barrier and they're like, we can't get out of here. That's Let's right. beat him up instead. Okay, okay. That um, all makes sense. Well, yeah. it makes sense in explaining the origin of the barrier, but right. why does Hulk punching it hurt? 
Doctor Strange's brain because it's hurting his spell. Like he, his the spell is maintained through his concentration, and so when his spell gets punched, it's like his brain's getting punched. And if the Hulk is punching your brain, yeah, man, oof. no bueno, no bueno. And yeah, so that's kind of what's going on. It doesn't explain why he was just absent-mindedly maintaining a spell that he didn't need to use right then especially if it was one that has that kind of potential backfire but that that is what is ostensibly happening in that because it was really confusing for me too because i'd forgotten about the magic barrier right and so i was like wait what is the hulk punching when he shows up Mm -hmm. and it's great and i love the hulk and he does a great job when he shows up but initially it does kind of fuck everything up it's it's basically like he mentally punched steve strange in the tummy while he was trying to drink a magic milkshake and so he just goes, and he spits all the magic out all over everybody, and they get their powers back. That's a good analogy. Thank you. You're welcome. Norn Queen. What's up with that? Norn, the Norn Stones are ancient Asgardian magic, and that's how uh, Loki uses his powers. So I'm not specifically familiar with the Norn Queen, but I would assume it's kind of like, like a fairy queen, basically. Mm. And so she was just like, Wrecker, I will imbue your crowbar with power. Yeah, I I think it says the crowbar was imbued with her power, but I think Loki was the one who had done that. It seems like I I might be wrong, but yeah. It's gotten, it's got this. It's got Loki's paw prints all over it. Paw prints. I mean, probably is a shapeshifter. If I was a shapeshifter, I'd sometimes turn into like a cat or a dog. Okay. Wouldn't you? Probably cats are super nimble. Yeah. Wouldn't you like to be nimble, Corey? I'm not saying you're not nimble. I'm just saying you could be more nimble. I'm not not nimble, but no. I'm not nearly as nimble as a cat. No, man. But, I mean, like, worse comes to worse, you can jump over a candlestick. You know what's hilarious is watching cats wipe out. Watching any animal that is, like, normally you think of as being graceful, like, kind of eat it. Mm-hmm. Pretty funny. It is pretty damn. My dog Finley sometimes is clumsy, and it's really funny. Mm-hmm. When... He was a little puppy. He would sometimes, when he was trying to pee, he would lift up one leg and then he would just fall over. That's one of my favorite things. <laughs> That's deep. Yeah. You ready to get into the minutia? Sure. All right. Hey, Rick, you want to sing us a song? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part. It's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. So, what do you feel like hitting up first? Let's talk about fashion. Okay. Sartorially speaking, which incidents of fashion would you like to discuss? Well, this is a little bit of a tricky one because often what we rely on is, you know, ancillary characters because we're familiar with the clothing of the usual suspects, as it were. Sure. That said, other than the suit-wearing, hat-wearing, shady character from Vermont, Who I really do like, and I think his fashion is worth noting. That was one of the things that I wrote down. I like that he's got a little feather in his band. Mm -hmm. The fact that he is that combination of well-dressed in that he's wearing a suit, but it's a slightly garish suit Mm -hmm. and has the feather, really epitomizes, especially in the 70s, like the idea of what a gangster was. Mm -hmm. And I think it does that really well. It reminds me of like a Guys and Dolls type character. I want to really be able to wear a hat with confidence like that you can you can't no. until you're old i saw this old dude oh yeah o- old people can wear whatever the fuck they want man i saw this guy this morning who it was like it, was, it wasn't cold outside it was relatively nice but he had like a like a trench coat and like some nice pants and shiny shoes and like a not quite a fedora but like 
you know, bigger than a pork pie. Sure. Smaller than a fedora with like a little feather in it. Yeah. And I was like, that guy is dapper as fuck. Yeah. But if it was a guy in his like 20s that was dressed like that, yeah. my immediate reaction would be like, man, fuck that guy. Yeah. But it was funny when I saw him, I did have this thought of like, oh, someday I'm going to be old and I can wear hats. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Not feel, not feel weird about it. Yeah. That's, that's probably the best part of being old. That, and you get to say expressions like, the one time an old lady asked me, Do you have hamburger sandwiches? <laughs> I remember you mentioning that. Once, a, once like that odometer clicks over and I turn like, I'm, I'm going to say 72, mm. I'm always calling hamburgers hamburger sandwiches. Even though it's not something from my youth. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to just like really bust out like this like dust covered tome filled with like old person sayings uh, and it's just like it's all dungarees and hamburger sandwiches from then on out uh dungarees yeah and I'll, i don't be wearing a hat you better believe i'll be wearing a hat all right all right we'll go hat shopping it'll be a time agreed hats and old people mm-hmm. what other fashion do you want to talk about bad guy uniforms yeah we talked a little bit about like the performative blue collarness of them um, I feel like the Wrecker's costume is legitimately a blue-collar uniform. He's basically wearing, like, a pretty utilitarian, like, it's like Dickie's, construction like... worker jump, like, Dickie's jumpsuit that then he's wearing a mask over and has gloves. But, like, if you're using a metal object, it actually makes sense that you would wear mm-hmm. kind of heavy gloves. Sure. They maybe got a little more flair than he needs, but his uniform makes sense in that regard. The rest of them are clearly cosplaying as construction workers who do not really know how construction works. They it's are, like a combination of construction and, like, superhero outfit. It's definitely more in the superhero side of things, because, yeah. like, you show up to work dressed like that, and the guys <laughs> are going to give you a hard time. I've worked on some construction sites, and yeah. that wouldn't fly. Did you try? <laughs> no. Okay, well, maybe. I'm just saying. Maybe you should cut these people some slack. Maybe they would just be like, all right, not bad. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you're pro- you're probably right. But also there's the fact that on the cover there's a color swap going on where the wrecker has orange mask and gloves and boots instead of purple, which he has on the inside. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty good look. You orange don't see the orange and green as often. I love it. it made me think of uh, Aquaman. Yeah, it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Did you know that Aquaman's outfit is really his prison uniform that he got when he was jailed in Atlantis? That's an Atlantean prison uniform. And he wears it to remind himself of the bad times as a political statement. There is so many things I don't know about Aquaman, and that is that is glad to scratch that off the list. Yeah, well, there you go. That was retconned to be the origin of his uniform in the Legend of Aquaman number one, which came out in 1988. <laughs> they they retconned that into being the case. Which at first I was like, that's really cool, and then I actually thought about it, and it's like, wait, so when he was on the run from the Atlantean law. He never took off his prison uniform? Mm. Yeah, that does make a statement. I don't think it makes the political statement he was thinking it made. The statement that that makes to me is Robble Robble. Because he's the fucking Hamburglar. Ah, the Hamburglar of Atlantis. Yeah, best case scenario, he's one of the Beagle Boys. The Beagle Boys? Uh, from DuckTales. They also just wore their prison uniforms all the time. Oh, shit. I'm surprised that I know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) I'm always surprised when anybody knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, but orange and green's a good look. Purple and green's a good look. When I was mm. thinking of villains who wore purple and green last issue, mm-hmm. would have been nice if I'd thought of the wrecker. Yeah, talking to him in the wrecker. Yeah. Hanging out. Good times. Anything else sartorially you wanted to touch on? 
I think we talked about it last time, but I really like just the yellow and green um, Thunderball's look. Is it? Yeah. I think he's got the dopest costume. He really does. He he he's got the dopest costume. I I like his name. It's uh, all around good guy. Mm-hmm. Magic Thunderball. I mean, you know, he's evil. I guess, but good guy for an evil guy. Yeah, good guy for an evil guy. Yeah, not too shabby. No, big words and magic Thunderball. Big words, magic Thunderball. The Thunderball story. Netflix. Indeed. There's also a time where the Wrecker calls Doctor Strange's cape a stupid, ugly opera cape. It's not ugly. It's a good-looking cape. Doctor Strange has a good-looking cape. I just want to point out that the Wrecker is wrong about that. It is an amazing cape. There's a lot you can criticize Steve about, and I do it pretty much every other week. Mm -hmm. But having a bad-looking cape is not one of them. Do your homework, Wrecker. Well, he's a dapper, dapper Dan. Yep. Sound effects. Yes, so many. So many. What was your favorite sound effect? Boy, there were a lot of good ones. I think I'm going to go with the one that cracked me up the most when I first read the comic, which is woo, 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 woo. <laughs> That's fun. That's a police siren, right? It's a police siren, or it's one of the characters from the Kung Pao Enter the Fist movie. I'm not that's, sure that's true. which one. I'm pretty sure it was a police siren. Okay. I've got a couple that I want to talk about, too. Poom. Poom <laughs> just kind of cracks me up. It's like it's a, a, little, funny a little back punch. Yeah, poom. Yeah. That was on page 11. On page 30, we get chuff which that makes no damn sense no but i like it because i like the british expression uh, to mean pleased it would be like oh i'm well chuffed i am that means you're just happy i didn't uh, know that and so like the idea of an impact from i believe a kick mm-hmm. being chuff is uh pretty funny to me but i think my favorite is on page 26 splow splow and Who it's plowed? i believe the hulk splows pile driver Oh. Let me check. I'm sorry. The Hulk is splowing bulldozer. Oh, he punches him so good. He punches him so good that it makes the word splow, which I want that to be like the word splow to be like in olden times, like the, the expression zounds or zblood, uh, which were both portmanteaus of God's blood or God's wounds. Zounds is God's wounds. And that would be something that you would swear by. Uh, so I think that splow would be God's plow. But you can't say the God part, because that would be blasphemous. So you shorten it to SPLOW! Alright, what's a portmanteau of... By my father's beard! Uh, I guess just Zbeard. (laughs) It's not as good. Alright, it's not as good, sorry. No, not... not Maybe that's what spear means, though. Spear? Speared! (laughs) Speared. Maybe. Maybe that was originally, like, By my father's beard, that is a good pointy stick! And then that just got shortened to spear. Probably. Probably. That's the origin of the the word spear. I know most people tune into us for our etymological research. And now you know Hmm. that spear is a portmanteau of by my father's beard, that's a great pointy stick. Or spear. Much like the fat boys in the film Crush Groove, every episode of a Defenders comic has a character who just has to be a sucker and act in a way that is counter to their previously established character or sensical motivation. In this issue, who just had to be a sucker? This was a tough category for this issue. It really was. I I had to kind of play with the idea of what the category meant a little bit. Uh, What did you come up with? I came up with... Because I don't have this missing issue, because I'm not a good boy. <laughs> what? <laughs> Ever the Hulk figured out. It just seemed like a very kind of complex thought structure for him to have of like, 
well, I thought these guys betrayed me because all this stuff happened and they didn't. And so I'm going to come back and um, rescue them. I think it probably wasn't as complex as that. Uh, I, I, I know what you're talking about. But to me, I think the thought was basically just like, friends couldn't help me when I need them. Bad things happen. That means friends are no good. And so he storms off. And at the time, even Doctor Strange was just like, no, no, let him take time, He'll process, process this. Yeah. And that basically he just processed it. And he had a similar epiphany when the Defenders rescued him before. That he's just like, you guys are my friends. Friends are great. I love you guys. Now we're friends. Friendship is super important. I think the Hulk is canonically very mercurial. And I think that it was just more of an emotional decision than necessarily a logical one. So I don't know if that's really that out of character for the Hulk. Agreed. I read it as a logical decision by the Hulk because I needed to find a sucker. Okay, fair enough. Mine, I went with Thunderball because he seems to have an education and probably, given the way that he talks, for a comic book character, a scientific background. And so for him to go along with the Wrecker's plan of, yeah, we'll all grab this uh, crowbar and get struck by lightning once we bust you out of prison, that doesn't seem like the sort of thing a scientist would be all into. Nope. Like, it seems like a very bad, dangerous plan. At least let all the other guys do it first, see what happens, and then... Yeah. Go from there. Right, something like that. So, some kind of empirical research, it, it would seem like he might need that. I know the comic book universe is a weird place, but I feel like, yeah, that isn't something a smart guy would go along with. It did totally also remind me of Kid Flash's origin. Because his whole deal was the Flash was giving him a tour of how he became the Flash. And it's like, I had all of these chemicals on this rack set up in exactly this way. And then I got struck by lightning. And then lightning struck them all it's again. Like, so weird. It's like, now you get that twice. too. Yeah. But it is pretty much the same thing. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, all I need to do is hold this crowbar up and get struck by lightning. And then we'll all get magic powers. There you go. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I... Chose Thunderball, but it was a little bit of a stretch. As a backup, I did have Nighthawk for retaining the blue-collar lessons that his father taught him, because it didn't make that much sense to me that his father would teach him how to operate a crane, which he does in the issue. Makes no damn sense. But also, we have seen him operate similar equipment when he was operating the giant super science laser that he helped build. So if he can build something like that, I think he can probably figure out how to work a crane. And maybe his dad didn't teach him how to do that. He was just trying to show off and be cool for his new buddy, Power Man. Mm -hmm. And be like, oh yeah, no, I know how to do normal people things that aren't billionaire things. Mm -hmm. So that's why I didn't go with Nighthawk. It's a lot to choose from in this issue, but who had the best words? I had a, a toss-up between Power Man and the Hulk. In this one, I think I'm going to go with Hulk, probably. Yeah, I think that's fair. Before we got into, like, the best actual dialogue, I was just like, well, the category is best words. And the words, Stumblebum, mm. which the record calls people, which mm -hmm. I thought was fucking delightful. Mm -hmm. Chum and Tinhorn. Big fan of all of those. Oh, yeah. Record's got a colorful dialogue. But yeah, to me, it came down to Doc Strange has a little speech that I liked a lot. And the Hulk has a little speech that I liked a lot. Mm -hmm. I suspect we have the same Hulk one, so I'm going to read the Doctor Strange one and then let you do the Hulk one. Very good. The Doctor Strange speech is on page 15. Basically, this is his I'm going to kick your ass speech. Nighthawk is jumping out of the way of Bulldozer, who, as you pointed out, is telling him to stand still. Mm -hmm. And Bulldozer says, You yellow-bellied turkey, you ain't got guts enough to face me, Manta. Oh! <laughs> And he says, oh, because Dr. Strange has just zapped him with mm -hmm. probably a bolt of bedevilment. 
But then Doctor Strange just stands there with one fist still smoldering from the cosmic blast he has used and says, One does not require guts to deal with such as you, Bulldozer. One requires power. And Doctor Strange has power in abundance. That's classic, Steve. It is. Like and it, it's, it's actually pretty badass. It's a nice mix of, like, pompous arrogance and I'm your Huckleberry, you know? <laughs> the Hulk one, is it the one from page 26? It is indeed. I loved that, and I think it's actually my favorite. That's what I had to. I think you and I can both agree that we love Hulk when he's pleased with himself. It is my favorite Hulk is Hulk when he's pleased with himself, especially if it is Hulk pleased with himself for being what he thinks is clever. Yeah, and this is a prime example of that. And uh, yeah, it's on page 26, as you said. He's just punched pile dr- um, Ram Man. Nope. Bulldozer. Bulldozer. Really good. And says, Ha! Tin Can Head just lays on garbage, not moving. Garbage is where Tin Can Head belongs. Yeah, and he's really smirking to himself like, Ha ha! What a clever Beaumont I've yeah, just delivered. He looks so happy. It's delightful. I love that too. And that actually, I think, leads us into favorite panel. That is my favorite panel. It, it is the Hulk just looking really pleased with himself for having the very clever wordplay of I put you on garbage because you are garbage. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that one. I also had the panel that you referenced earlier where Doctor Strange is giving his speech about how badass he is. He looks yeah. super badass. He, he totally in does. That, in that picture. I think my favorite is the opening panel on page one. Where it's just the standoff where it's the good guys on one side, bad guys on the other, on the other and there's rubble all around them. Yeah, and there's the city in the background with all this detail. There's this full moon. There's a construction equipment. And, like, there's a ton going on. But and the title is really cool looking the way that that is lettered. It's, it's Rampage is the name of the issue. And... The letters are either shredded or flaming or have feathers, but they're red and yellow and really cool looking and have like little fringe on all of the serifs. And it's really cool looking. It is super cool. And that's something that I don't know if we've touched on before, but like one of the parts of comic artwork that, you know, kind of the graphic designer part of me really appreciates is like the the font creation Mm -hmm. as its own kind of artwork and especially with the sound effects and the titling and this is like a classic example like that would be a dope font to like to just write the word rampage in honestly it's perfect i would call it rampage (laughs) yeah that would be a great name for that font yep yeah good call so this is a little tricky because as i think we've both discussed this comic is basically just one big fight scene Mm-hmm. But within the course of this fight, who was the best defender and who was the worst offender? I found myself literally counting punches to like, <laughs> to like who was the most effective or okay or not in here. Because usually we have something that is, I don't know, morally objectionable that somebody has right. done and that, that waits the decision. And if there was one in here, maybe I missed it. I didn't really have one of those. So yeah, I uh, for my worst offender... I actually went with Doctor Strange, and overall he actually does a really good job for the most part, but he does decide to maintain his magical barrier over the construction site that seals the rest of the team off from everything while he sets up his other spell that is drinking their magic milkshake, and it robs himself of the opportunity to drink it up, and it's kind of what loses them the fight. To maintain one very powerful spell needlessly while you start another one seems to be kind of a rookie magic mistake. And so I'm gonna pop Steve for that. I think that's fair. 
I don't know, putting myself in Steve's shoes. I probably would have forgotten that I don't need that too when I start drinking the magic milkshake. That's a pretty, he seemed to get pretty excited about that. Yeah. So I, I'm going to forgive that. And I first had it down to bird nose because my nose were one kick. That's all he does. But then I went through it again. I realized, oh, that's not the case. He also hits the guy. He with actually it. does a pretty good job. Yeah. He hits the guy with the crane. Of the people assembled, he's the only one without any magic powers or superpowers or really much of anything. And he uses his agility in a really clever way throughout. Yeah. And so because of that, I demoted him or promoted him. And uh, it pains me to do so, but I had to. I picked Power Man because he basically punched one guy. Uh, he also was a three sewer stickball champ and bats the, which the was, thunderball. Which was pretty cool, but that was self-preservation. I didn't really do a lot for the team. So uh, I, I know you don't wow. like it. Wow. I feel betrayed. <laughs> All right. Well, conversely, who did you have as your best defender? For best... I I picked the Hulk because he cracked me up, and I think he really turned the tide of the fight. He, the I mean, end. he sort of did. Like, I mean, initially, him showing up is what fucked everything up. It is, but but also it was what, like, really was the catalyst for, like, the whole Wrecking Crew to be like, oh, shit, guys, we gotta get out of here. <laughs> yeah. Well, I decided to go with the Hulk uh, for the reasons <laughs> that you said, but more importantly, because he learned an important lesson about friendship, and uh, I'm a big fan of friendship. All right. And... I thought that was great. My backup was Val, because she quit the team and she stayed quit for a little while, which is a very good defender move. That is more follow through than anybody but Namor has yeah, demonstrated. Yeah, I know. Like, the Hulk quit for one issue, mm -hmm. and Val is like, no, I, I'm going to stay gone for more than one issue. Going to Vermont. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good defender move. Mm -hmm. Pretty good. Well, I think that's all of the minutiae, but... What do you want to call the Wong segment this time? Two Wongs don't make a right? It's apropos to what I have. Okay. So, in December <laughs> of 1974, how did two Wongs make it right? Well, two Wongs don't make a right. Oh, okay. Is the thing. Okay. So, things are very tense in the sanctum, sanctimonious, as it were. Mm-hmm. First of all, Wong has been super annoyed at Steve Strange because, forgivably, earworm that it is, he can't stop humming or singing Kung Fu Fighting by Carl <laughs> Douglas, which came out that year. And I was like, dude, seriously? <laughs> Did I tell you that when I was in high school, I had a cassette tape that one whole side of the cassette tape was Kung Fu Fighting by Carl Douglas? No, he didn't. I did. In retrospect, it's a very catchy song. Uh, Kung Fu by Curtis Mayfield is a much better song. I somehow don't think I know that. We'll, listen to, listen, to that we'll listen to it later. But anyway, Wong, just like... Uh, he, he's pretty over it. Dude, yeah. seriously. He needs to blow off some steam, get out of the house. Mm -hmm. So he does, and as he often does as his blowing off steam maneuver, he, he goes to, to catch a matinee. Oh, what movie did he see? He sees The Godfather 2, the, oh. the sequel. And he finds himself really conflicted because he thought the first Godfather was, you know, a cinematic masterpiece. Sure. Yet... The robust storytelling, the the deep character development. De Niro, of, Bruno Kirby in the second one. He's like, holy shit, this may be the first time where the sequel beats the first one. And, and he's kind of excited and he goes home and, and starts talking to Steve Trange about it. And Steve Trange's like, no! And they have this big like movie debate. Steve Trange, the first is better. And he's like, no, it's really good. And then Steve Trange just, you know, walks off, starts... Da -da 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 -da. <laughs> Wong just was, ah, and that was the end of it. And it just uh, like no tensions got diffused. <laughs> like things are tense. Wow. Uh, so 
It's interesting that you bring that up because it, it is not Wong's only uh, encounter that month with a visual entertainment. He's having a bad time, not just because of Steve Strange's constant Carl Douglasery, <laughs> but also Wong was a huge fan of Monty Python. Oh no! Yeah. And uh, yeah, on the on the fifth of December, the last episode of Monty Python aired, and he's like, "Oh man, that's a that's a bummer." That especially there was that one episode about the blancmange playing tennis that for whatever reason that was just Wong's fucking jam. Okay, he loved that show and that specific sketch with Angus Podgorny, the first Scotsman to win at Wimbledon, uh, really just tickled him. Mm. But so he's like, you know what? I'm I'm gonna go to the movies. So he goes to the movies. Now he had been. It, it should surprise no one. Wong's a hell of a guy, but he uh, had been part of a prison pen pal program. <laughs> Okay. And so he had been maintaining a correspondence with a, a a prisoner who, it turns out, was Thunderball. What? Yeah. And, and they didn't know about it. They didn't talk about their professions. They just, you know, talked about their mutual love of movies. And they were both actually big James Bond fans. And, well, I mean, Wong, he didn't care for everything about James Bond. There's way too much misogyny in him for that. But he got into the adventure of it. And he actually came into it because he was a big fan of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang which was also written by Ian Fleming. And then he's like, oh, the Chitty Chitty Bang Bang Man has spy books too. And so he got into <laughs> James Bond and I uh, had talked with Thunderball about that. And then he gets a note from Thunderball that's like, hey, I'm out of prison. Uh, I've got a little bit of time to kill. Uh, do you want to go catch a James Bond movie together? And he's like, you know what? That would really take my mind off things. They go and see the man with the golden gun together. And Wong really enjoyed the film. Mm. Thunderball did not. Mm. He kept saying, like, after they got out, Wong was like, wasn't that fun? And Thunderball was like, no, George Lazenby is the real James Bond. And he would not drop it. And eventually they got into kind of a fight. And then Thunderball was like, you know what? You know how I told you I got paroled? I didn't get paroled. I escaped from prison. Fuck you. Damn. He stormed off. And, uh... Oh, Wong kind of like walked home just like kicking cans, kind of mm. Charlie Brown in it. Mm -hmm. Like just like just playing in the background. Mm. He gets home, he's super sad. And he's like, oh, you know what? I, I got to find something else that's funny. And then he started watching old reruns of the Jack Betty show. And he's like, wait a minute. <laughs> so there's this this dude who is takes his butler totally for granted and is cheap and arrogant and thinks he's great but isn't as great as he thinks he is this really speaks to me this jack benny guy is a comedic genius and he finds out jack benny died that month too mm. boy some weeks it just does not pay to be wong no and that's what wong was up to oh man Two Wongs didn't make it right that month. No, not no. at all. Well, we somehow managed to go over time <laughs> discussing this very, very breezy short issue. Well done, Corey. Thanks, Podcast Juice. Thanks, Podcast Juice. And once again, thanks, Len Wein, for giving us so much entertainment Indeed. over the years. And yes. just really, by all accounts, being a great guy and creating so much that we have enjoyed over the years. 
Well, thank you for listening, dear listener. If you are listening to this anytime soon to it coming out, uh, I will have posted very recently the audio from the panel that uh, Jay and Miles and Corey and I were all on at Rose City Comic Con this year. And so you should check that out. It'll be in the regular feed for our podcast. And so, yeah, let me know what you think of that. And thanks again to Jay and Miles. They were just charming and wonderful and made us picket signs and we're great and so yeah give them a listen and also if you haven't and i can't imagine that this is the case but if you haven't for whatever reason checked out jay and miles explain the x-men you really should you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't and if you want to thank me for introducing you to them you can do so at ttwasteland at gmail.com you can find me on twitter at ttwasteland underscore and you can check out about the podcast on itunes and stitcher and facebook and tumblr and google you just google tighten up the defense if you spell it right you probably won't get too many things about archie bell and the drells or a certain tennessee football team so thanks this was pretty cool. A good time. A good time was had by us. Mm-hmm. And hopefully you. By my father's beard, that's a pretty good pointy stick. Spear! <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks. <laughs>